Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's the Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, we're talking about BYD Budget Defender, Emmy Hall's class-winning off-road Miata, Rover Faux Pas, and a tip-top tool tip on tire tools. And now, without delay, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Steve Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about our cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or follow us on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the galvanized bumper to Stephen's pedestrian-friendly valence. I am the torn trousers of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram, at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. Well, this week in the news, I don't know if you've heard of a company called BYD. I certainly haven't. God knows what they make. But one thing that they're going to make is... A what they're calling a budget defender, but not like the Ineos Grenadier, uh, a new defender. It actually looks a lot like uh, what was that little Scion bus thing that everybody said the new defender looks like? It it it's sort of one of those. Is it an X Scion? Yeah, it's an X C X K Scion TC. I know TC is the car. Yeah, X maybe are they all C's? I don't know. Anyways, couldn't say it's a yeah boxy little kind of thing of do, but it is actually a apparently it's an off road vehicle and it is supposed to be budget priced. Um, That's what the B stands for. Budget B. It's like bring <laughs> bring your own defender. Um, Last time I heard the the yeah. acronym BYD was bring your own dachshund. It was like a bring your own dog park yeah. event. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think this is this came out of that uh, much like yeah. the Grenadier came from a bunch of guys at a bar. Yeah, same, same people same are now people, building yeah. a car. Yeah, they're building a car. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is apparently from China's leading vehicle manufacturer. Say. Yeah, no, they're they're apparently the leading. And they will sell this car globally. Now, I don't know if they'll sell it globally and here in the United States. I don't know what that means. It's, uh, it's apparently going to be sold. It's going to be a budget car. I don't know what that means, but it is a rugged off-roader with 617 horsepower. And okay. uh, apparently it has a hybrid powertrain that will go uh, about 746 miles. And uh, it's a ladder frame chassis, unlike the new Defender. It is uh, more like the old Defender. In, is there an the actual app. photo of this vehicle or is it all renderings? There is a photo, but there's no way that it isn't a rendering. It is on a road uh, and it is, you know, there are <laughs> palm trees, uh, but uh, but I don't know. It is in like camo and things. We'll put the link to the article in uh, the show notes, but uh, apparently 2024 global launch. And uh, yeah, I guess it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's we're they're taking pre-orders now. We are also <laughs> producing the underpowered hour Defender replacement. It's got a thousand horsepower. 
It's yep. all electric. Power, all goes electric. 500 miles on a charge. Yeah. Send your deposits right yeah. now. It's got everything you want. Uh, <laughs> it's got flappy, flappy paddle gearbox or uh, shifting or both at the same time. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. It's yeah. got it for sure. Yeah. This one is supposed to be between fifty-seven and eighty-six thousand dollars. And you'll be able to get a, you know, you'll be able to get like a super luxury version, I guess, for about 115 that at some point it's going to be available or it won't be available. And the chances of that being available in uh, these United States, I think, is uh, pretty, pretty, pretty low. I don't think we're going to see it over here, unfortunately. You know, I know how big of a fan that you are of uh, SUVs that nobody Nobody wants to buy. But anyways, it's the BYD SF is the name of the car. They're not. I mean, maybe in SF. Mandarin, the, the the acronyms are make more sense. But the, the SF. I feel like yeah. in Mandarin, they would have characters that are not. Yeah, it's going to be letters. it's going to be kanji uh, letters. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah. you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if the SF is everything we hope for. And I'll tell you what. The first question we'll ask anybody who's driven one is, uh, how's the steering feel? So Everything. you heard it here, folks. <laughs> Bring your yeah. dachshund. Yeah. San Francisco yeah. edition. San Francisco edition. Uh, not a defender. Throw down some cash and uh, why not? You know, it's the TikTok of uh, automobiles. So. I really wish we could have like a face-off with all of these mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. defender wannabes mm-hmm. All, mm-hmm. all together. Just, I think just we a, know. a road test. Hands down, the little D is going to win. I mean, you know, the little D, the little D, <laughs> little D is going to tap that list for me every time, every time, every time, That's every great. time. Speaking of little cars doing unexpected things, our uh, friend of Liza and uh, Jenna and Idol to myself and to uh, Abigail, uh, both of us want to build an off-road Miata. Uh, Emmy Hall has won her class at the Mint 400 um, out in uh, Las Vegas this past weekend, uh, a brand new class. The gambler class, I think, as a as a Ooh, uh, an homage like to the gambler uh, up in your neck of the woods, uh, she was able to uh, to win her class in Buddy the Miata, the off road rally Miata, which has done a thousand mile off road races. It's a uh, it's actually a fairly decorated off road Miata. I mean, there's not I mean, there's not too many in that uh, you know in that particular segment, sure. but uh, this is certainly the best one without question. Um, and we'll put a link for those who haven't seen Buddy the Off-Road Miata. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. And it is, uh, it's awesome. I mean, it how really is. How is your uh, Off-Road Miata project coming? Yeah, well, we have a minor parking issue that we are dealing with at the workshop <laughs> uh, where, you know, some of my ne'er-do-well neighbors have like literally abandoned cars with airbags that have gone off and things. And uh, the community that I share this uh, this 16-unit uh, uh, industrial complex with is uh, none too happy about derelict cars just hanging out around the buildings. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're, we're kind of waiting for that storm to blow over before we add our have own you been derelict approached, cars. Uh, or are you, have you been burned in effigy really funny, in relation yeah, to this? Funny uh, enough, <laughs> they're specifically targeting uh, the Widowmaker, my uh, ne'er-do-well forklift, oh, uh, no. as, a, as a potential problem because it does park outside of the shop because it's mm-hmm. not safe for it to park inside where there may be people or, or something. It, it needs to be chained up to the building. Mm-hmm. outside to prevent it from killing again um and uh, yeah it is being targeted uh, for for removal which i've said uh, i welcome i welcome someone who's willing to tow that i know most of the flatbed operators in the town here and uh, i'm not a single one of them would be willing to tow that thing so uh, mm-hmm. i think i'm safe but we'll see we'll see an update on that next week maybe sounds my like a challenge lift, somebody uh, might be willing to accept <laughs> if you have a tow truck in the greater yep. los angeles area and, and you'd like to make some yep. money yep. scrap value that is 
Yeah. Oh, come yeah. tow no, away Stevens forklift. Yep. Exactly. It's just outside. It's not not even locked. I mean, you can if you can get it running, you can uh, you can. We will send the it. address to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a it could be a special there's a there's a summer breakdown right there we'll come and uh retrieve that but uh yeah unfortunately so anyways we are we are planning we are planning an off-road miata it is on the list but we have to get the current miata running we have to do some work on the 80 inch we've got we've got projects are in to get an on-road freelander before you can get an off i have to miata. actually get a working freelander <laughs> and then we'll do an off-road miata that's exactly right now latest latest updates this quick sideline on the on the freelander the undisputed uh, king of land rovers is uh, i spoke with the transmission gentleman and uh, he said yeah transmission's working fine they rebuilt it it's great back in the car running great mm-hmm. there is mm-hmm. now a a as he mentioned it, a scary sounding clunk coming from the back of the car. Uh, he thinks maybe the rear axle, anytime he, it drives maybe it's at just all. A, maybe just the rear wipers going and it, the blade Could needs be. to be replaced. I am sure Probably that's it. what it is. I'm sure that's what Probably. it is. So we're, we're, we're coming very close to just abandoning. The, my idea was, oh, oh, no. I, I'll, just, I'll just send it to Ed. Uh, he'll deal with it. It'll be fine. I don't have time to work on it. I don't work on cars even remotely close to that new. So I don't know what any of that shit is. I, I think we're just going to have to get it back here. And, Turbo uh, encabulator has gone We're just going to have to. Yeah, exactly. I think Dixon's suggestion to drop uh, the drivetrain and put in a 1.6 liter is probably coming closer and closer to being. The Sean the Sheep Rover. That's what that is. John the Sheep, this freelander. <laughs> yeah. Looks like a Defender, but it's got a Series 1 drivetrain. We're going we're gonna to take a far more collectible Land Rover's drivetrain and shove it underneath the least collectible Land Rover possibly on the planet. So, yeah, there you go. That's that's what that's what's happening in Freelander Town. The rear end? Do you think the rear differential is bad? I think I, it could be. Well, you know they have a viscous coupling uh, drive shafts in mm, those okay. things. That's yeah, how yeah. part of the all-wheel drive system works. It's possible mm-hmm. that that has gone sideways, which is which is totally possible. I guess those things do mm-hmm. fail, and when they fail, they essentially just lose their viscousness, and so. It's like a drive shaft that has, you know, no, you know, the bolts slackened all the way off. It's just clunking sure. like crazy. At least, I, again, I haven't driven it. So that is in the way he described it. I think uh, it's probably something to do with the, hopefully it's the drive shaft and not the rear differential uh, because those are, again, even more difficult to find. And they're like, of course, unrebuildable because they're all dumb and, everything, and they're, they're partially electric. And how old is this car? 2003. Yeah, it's not even that old, mm-hmm. really. I mean, it's kind of yeah. old. It's 20. Years I old. have much older cars that run way, way better. So that are easier yeah. to get parts for way easier to get parts for. A friend of mine has a Toyota pickup from 2006 Toyota pickup, mm-hmm. 2006 Toyota pickup delivery van took out the door and uh, fender on his car. Toyota yeah. can't get parts for it. Really? Can't get it's a fender, just, can't it. get a door. You're just like, yep, yeah, that's, that's it. it. It's total 2006. It's total. And yet you can get a, a panel for your 80 inch. No problem. No problem. It's called the CKD boys. It'll be here at the end of the week. <laughs> you know, like yeah, speaking right. of the CKD boys, mm. uh, they called the other day and they were like, we need some new old stock brake drums. And I was like, no oh, yeah. problem. I'll uh, send yeah. you some shippings like $450 to Australia. They were like, what? And so they had me buy a roller bag like that you pull through an airport and uh, send it to their friend who was traveling to Australia. <laughs> they put it in their carry on luggage. So some poor suckers <laughs> carrying on. Four brake drums onto a Qantas flight headed to Australia with uh, a bunch of brake drums in it. 
Are the great. boys going to use that on their uh, Kuma Run uh, Series 1? I think Alex is going to use it on uh, on one of his 80s, yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. That I will say, Alex, as we've said before, has a special power when it comes to shipping things. Resourceful are, uh, fella. Yeah, he's a resourceful fella. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. those you know those boats of migrants that are like you know crossing yeah. borders yeah. and uh, that's and he, just he, Alex shipping stuff. He's, he's got each one yeah. of those guys is carrying like a brake master cylinder. For yeah, they're not they're not yeah. drug mules. They're rover part no, mules. Rover part mules. <laughs> sneaking them all out of South America. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the first time. Those guys are uh, very resourceful. Very very resourceful, Rob. So I um yeah, it's, it's again I'm not going to see those guys at Kuma. I really want to. They're they're super fun. We got to have them on the show. We've been saying it now since we saw them in the UK more than a year ago now, and uh, we've sure. yet to uh, we've yet to follow up on that. But you know, it's, uh, we've all been busy. It's been a busy year. You know, they're making panels, they're making new cars, they're on the front of magazines. Very Speaking guys. of busy, mm. the owners of Prince Philip's Defender have been very busy. <laughs> They've been selling that thing right and left. So they sure uh, have. They, they sure have. Yeah, the the the, the one ten. With mm-hmm. a two point four liter Ford engine in it, this yeah, uh, this car's coming for sale again. Yeah, and it's tripled in price since it last sold nine months ago. That is incredible. It's a good investment. A hundred and twenty three thousand pounds yeah. is the last uh, sales amount. Uh, that is insane. I mean, it is just a TDCI Defender. Like it's it's especially in the UK. That's not particularly remarkable. It's not even the, the good year. It's a, it's old. It's too new to be one of the good ones. So I think it, I think it um, sold for what 40, 40 some thousand last time. Something like that. Yeah, I was it was right around yeah forty five fifty thousand pounds. It's a quick um, turnaround. Yeah, that's pretty good appreciation. That's yeah. uh, that's like buying a uh, any Defender here in North America. No the doubt. Same. In fact, if you were to buy just a normal non Prince Philip uh, two thousand ten. Uh, Defender, TDCI Defender, and get it here to the United States. I think actually 123,000 pounds to actually have it landed and registered. That's probably a pretty good deal. By the yeah, time but you, you got it, le- you can't legally register it. Even if it's quote unquote registered, it's not still not legal. I think if you homologate it or whatever they call it, I think like you go through and basically they like build you a new car. I'm not sure how they how they do it, but there it's is not, some process. If you're, I think you're if you're a registered importer and you go through and have it federalized. Right, federalized, yes. And that means crash testing it. That means having all of the like seatbelt labels and like warning labels and all this. It's basically, for all intents and purposes, practically impossible impossible, to legally register. Unless it's in Montana, then it's fine. (laughs) And purportedly, this is because of emissions and uh, Department of Transportation Safety regulations that you cannot have and drive this vehicle on the roadway. However, it's perfectly normal and legal to drive like a, a 110-year-old Model T on the road. Yes, That's absolutely. completely Linus does it all the time. And they let Linus do it, which is even like a next uh, level of dangerous. But uh, yeah, yeah. that's fine. I mean, it, it's a car where if you're not actively doing something, it like it, it tries to escape where you are. You know, like it doesn't stop when you take your feet off the pedals. It, it like goes faster. It's but God forbid, completely. God forbid I have a Jimny. No yeah, way. Can't no. do it. Unacceptable. That is... Way too big of a risk. To be fair, probably is, but it's it's also potentially damaging to the domestic compact four by four SUV right. market. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The key God truck forbid. market, the local key truck market. 
Oh, it's just huge, right? I mean, like, think of all those models you can get that are, uh, you know, just like size SUVs. Yeah, I mean, every U.S. manufacturer makes three or four of those. So, yeah, it would be Drives crazy. me crazy. Right. And speaking of things that drive me crazy. the my One of my favorite segments, the uh, grumpy old Ike uh, segment, uh, Rover Faux Pas, or What Grinds Ike's Gears. Uh, this week we have... Uh, some particularly gripey ones as well. Like so these, many things that drive me crazy. Yeah, we're getting to the distillation of the uh, the purest, <laughs> the the marrow of gripes, if you will, in a few of these. So uh, the 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 first one is in regards to the uh, the canvas hood, the soft top, if you will, for your series car. What's your gripe with that? Well, this is a, this is a red flag for me. So when I see an advertisement for a Land Rover, I almost know that the the owner has no working knowledge of the vehicle when I see <laughs> the canvas top flaps tied on the outside oh, yeah. of the soft top. Yeah. So uh, for those of you that have a soft top, you know that the, the top has small pockets through yeah. which the uh, straps and rear flaps of the canvas pass. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it's secured to the side of the vehicle, keeps it wind and water tight, mostly. Yep. And uh, yep. it, it, it's tidy. It, it, it's got a, it a nice. nice little, yeah. it's nice yeah. little pocket. So it's very common to see a vehicle for sale that is sold by a flipper reseller, somebody who doesn't yep. know Land Rover, somebody who's never owned or driven a Land Rover. Yeah. And that top is tied with the flaps on the outside, catching the wind, making it flap and flutter if you were to drive yep. it this way. Yeah. Yeah. So I almost know that that person, you know, can't answer any reasonable no. questions about the no. vehicle. No. Probably doesn't own an it. Untucked probably hasn't flap. it. Yeah, an, an untucked, untucked flap. flap. Oh, it's crazy. That's the worst. It's crazy. Drives you crazy. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it is a little bit of an art to figure out exactly where all the little ropes sure. and buckles and everything's go. But yeah. there, there are an infinite number of videos on the old YouTube or, or anywhere else or, you know, the instructions that came with your Exmoor top or whatever on how to put this. You know, mm -hmm. actually... The uh, the fine folks at Atlantic British actually have a really good video um, on on how to put a series top on. Yeah, they've got oh, a good, nice. they got a good one. I haven't yeah, seen that. So I have to check it out. No, hard to figure out like how to put your you know pre production eighty inch top on or something. But it's it's not a huge market. I don't think it's, it's a actually big you know the the series two tops have some like hidden cleats in the gutters mm -hmm. that go above mm -hmm. the doors and. There's yeah. some other things that are a little bit more esoteric that are not necessarily obvious, but, you know, it's like having your fly down, your pants on backwards, like, you know, it's yeah. just... It's not great. Drives me crazy. Yep. And it's usually on a car that's for sale and it's been, you know, restored yes. in yes. typically a, a low labor cost country, you know, and somebody's imported it. Might have the Santana badges removed and just Land Rover <laughs> badges replacing <laughs> the Santana badges, something like that. At any rate... Yeah. Yep, yeah, it's yep. just a it's just a red flag when you see that uh, yep. canvas top not tied properly. Yeah, I mean that's the uh, that's the sign of a you know of a reputable uh, importer. Uh, you know somebody like you know Ivan or Rover Talk or something like that. You know those guys know it's a it's a good car. It's uh, comes from maybe uh, maybe a country that is not uh, always known for its uh, reputation. But you know there's good people, and then there's the vast majority of people that are just it's just a, it's a nightmare. And then they all end up on bring a trailer. So uh, what what drives you crazy? What grinds your gears? You know, uh, similarly, uh, I feel like the uh, inefficient fitting of soft tops is one. But, uh, you know, another one that you actually mentioned when we uh, were uh, doing the rundown, uh, and I completely agree, is unsecured wiring harnesses. Oh, wiring harnesses that, that are just uh, crazy. 
just sort of hanging out, you know, just oh, uh, you know, in there. Every wiring harness has a, a certain number of, depending on the vintage of the vehicle, either metal or in the case of the Series 3, a little plastic clippy news that, uh, you know, that hold the uh, wiring harness in a, in a variety of places. And there's, you know, you can see someone who's had a huge attention to detail because those are not just present, but they're in the right places. They're under the right bolts or they're you know, affixed uh, correctly. And uh, yeah, because otherwise your uh, your wiring harness is just sort of like a, you know, it's just sort of like a zip line between different connectors in your in your engine bay. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's vibration. A, there's a, there. They, nope. there can be a time and place for certain things being unsupported. However, mm-hmm. in, in the case of a wiring harness, never acceptable, never you know, acceptable. and I right. think this is uh, another thing that you see on uh, sort of shoddily restored vehicles is they mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. say, oh, it's got a brand new wiring harness and they've purchased yeah. the wiring harness and they've put it in the car. Yes. And all of the clips, all of the fasteners, all of the support for the harness, uh, it's gone. And they no, haven't bothered to find new ones or replace them. No. So the, the entire weight of the harness is hanging off of the terminals on the backside of the dash or, yep. you know, or the voltage regulator, what have you. And so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. it's just every time it goes over a bump, it's just got the whole weight of the harness tugging on all of the terminals and some of those terminals especially the older ones you know bullet connectors and things can slip loose from making an electrical connection and still look like they're plugged in so there's a it's a great mystery uh, as to is it unplugged is it plugged you know and so you end up having to go and test everything and that's why those little you know little supports are there from the factory because i'm sure at some point the car didn't have it and it fell apart on them and they're like we should really put a little strappy do on there and uh, and they did and, and it made it better and check your wiring harnesses it. folks tie up those harnesses yeah. tie up those harnesses keep that shit in check what about you Ike? what's another what's another thing that really uh really gets you that really bothers you oh uh you know when something is secured to the car with a rivet that is uh-huh. the longest possible unsealed <laughs> rivet from ace hardware yeah and uh <laughs> they've set the rivet and you look yep. behind it and it's got like an inch of crooked, wavy <laughs> aluminum, yeah. 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 you know, yeah. behind the rivet. Oh, it drives me crazy. Like a, like a junkie with like a really long oh, cigarette that they haven't yeah, ashed it's just yet. Like a, sort of like, it's just like uh, a cigarette that's been put out and it's like been glued to the backside of the, yeah. the Land Rover. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so cappings and door seals and, you yeah, know, all manner of right. things are secured yeah. with yeah. these these rivets. It drives me crazy. Pop riveted door seals is another. I and mean, that semi-tubular rivets are, are not that hard to find or to put in. And there's so they're so tidy yeah. those things and they're so nice looking they look so good and they they're really, really easy they're easy to do they're in fact in many ways they're easier to do than pop rivets especially for seals and things much easier yeah, yeah it's true it's uh it's rough uh, what about uh how do you feel about phillips head screws in your uh, vintage land rover they, there's only there's like a very limited number of phillips screws on uh on an early land rover and so yeah. that's another red flag for me when i see a land yeah. rover that's just covered in phillips screws it's, it's zinc no one cares no one <laughs> No screws. one cares. Nothing says I don't care like putting Phillips screws in a Land Rover or in the in dash. The oh, drives oh, yeah. me nuts. Uh-huh. Drives me nuts. I'll slot it all the way around, even though, you know, I understand that Phillips screws are they're not great. Superior in many ways. Yeah, they're they're better. They're mechanically better, but uh but uh you know, but they they look terrible and uh, they're they not right. look really bad. They look really bad. But there are a few places that have Phillips screws on a Land Rover mm-hmm. originally. Mm-hmm. One is the starter. Starter. Mm, the field right. coils are You're secured right. to the starter with Phillips screws. That's so right. That is that is one place where they're acceptable. 
the uh, the dash vents on a defender are uh, are Phillips. So there's actually lots of, lots of lots of lots of screws. The same as Series Three. They're the same screws. The same screws. I feel and, like uh, after yeah. after 1980, Land Rover didn't care about that stuff either. Nobody so, cared. Like, they yeah, replaced all the do- like hammer rivets with with, yeah. uh, with pop, pop rivets, rivets or blind yeah. rivets, if you call them that, and yeah. Uh, yeah. started putting Phillips screws. They didn't care anymore. They're yeah. like, nah. they're falling in it. Does like we can't believe people are still buying these things. Have you not heard of a Toyota Hilux yet? Anyways, there is a, a fair amount of Robertson head screws in you know Canadian uh, Land Rovers as well. Is that better or worse? Is that better or worse? Or like a Allen or Torx? Is that is that better or worse? Mm. Same amount of awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like those fasteners should they they belong securing the partitions in a bathroom. That's right. what they belong. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. where they well, belong. Well. There you go. Strong feelings on the Land Rover uh, faux pas. That's a, uh, yeah, another exciting installment of, uh, you know, I complains about uh, fasteners and rivets. I'm, uh, I'm the grumpy old man. Get off my lawn. That's what keeps uh, people coming back to this show. It's yeah. the uh, vigorous discussion of rivets for sure. Uh, so uh, lastly, a, a tip top tool tip, a pretty broad one today on tire tools. And, uh, you know, as you know, Ike, the Land Rover has four tires and sometimes a couple of spares. Uh, that may or may not have air in them, may not be roadworthy. But, uh, uh, well, I suppose that counts for the tires on the car as well. But uh, if your tires are less than roadworthy or if they have encountered something off of the road that is uh, particularly uh, damagey, you may be in a situation where you need to employ a tire tool. Uh, the first of which is probably the most common is a, a tire puncture remedy. Uh, what do you like for a tire puncture remedy? What's your what's your favorite puncture solve? My favorite puncture solve. I'm gonna say uh, the the plug. The plug like is the plug. A really like a nice the, uh, thing. Don't have to. And you like the, the uh, fruit roll up, the fruit strip style, or uh, what kind of plug do you like? Yeah, it, it's like a gummy pipe cleaner. This is how I like to describe them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it looks like a fuzzy pipe cleaner and it's got like an adhesive on it. Yeah. And uh, you you uh, file the hole in the tire yeah. and yeah. then you add the adhesive and then the plug and you push it in and turn it and pull it out and it's, it's yeah. sealed and it works yeah. really well and it's long it lasting. You don't have to demount the tire. It's mm-hmm. amazingly convenient and you can repair a puncture in minutes as opposed mm-hmm. to having to demount the tire, repair a yeah. tube, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. super, super time saver. And for those of you that have never done it or never used one of those, highly recommend you look up a video on those yeah. and that style of plug. They're great. Have you ever uh, plugged a sidewall with one of those guys? Oh, yeah. In fact, I have a, uh, a BFG that had 10, 10 miles on it. That got a sidewall puncture. Whoa. Like the first trail I took this car on, it was actually on my doormobile. <laughs> and uh, I got to the top of this kind of gnarly climb, rocky climb. And uh, I get out of the car and I just hear like a <laughs> And I was like, I know. Had 10 miles on it. And I, uh, it was a tire that was not readily available. And so. It is now my spare, but uh, it has three plugs in the sidewall. In the sidewall, yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you ever, uh, have you ever seen the ones that? I mean, people primarily use them for motorcycles. Doesn't matter. The tire on a motorcycle is not much different than a car tire. The little mushroom guys that you mm-hmm. kind of, uh, kind of squirt them in, and then they, they have the pressure of the air will sort of force the mushroom side against the inside and seal them up. Do you like those guys? Yeah, they used to have a, a similar thing like back in the twenties. You know, when you mm-hmm. had to you had to demount the tire, it had a yeah. tube in it. They had a mm-hmm. similar type, and it was almost like a rivet or a, yeah. a binder yeah. post, and and yeah. it would squeeze, and you'd put a vulcanizing compound on it. 
Yeah. And uh, it would it would press through the hole in the tire, and it's kind of similar in design. Yeah, and these one now I have a little gun that will will sort of do it from the outside and kind of shoot it in, and then and you kind of pull it just the right way, and it'll kind of expand into a little hole. I find for like little holes in the sidewall, those work really good. They don't work so well in in thick tread because you can't quite get the tool in and stuff. The nice thing about the you know about the gummy pipe cleaner is that you know the tools are quite long, so you can get it in between sure. lugs on the tire. You can sort of you can work stuff in there. Um, but the, uh, the little mushroom guys work pretty good on the outside of the tire. I like, uh, I like a mushroom guy on the outside. Have you ever used the, uh, screw in stud with the vulcanizing compound sort of set on the outside of it? I haven't used that style. They're, I believe an agriculture remedy and they, uh, they look like they're a little triangular screw and they have a Phillips head, unfortunately, on the, on the back of them. And they work really good for just straight punctures. Um, so if you've got a stick or something on the trail that's gone, you know, you'll get that one little root that's sticking up and somehow it's razor sharp and will go directly into your tire. But it just makes like a tiny little, you know, quarter inch hole. You can get these and they come in five or six different sizes and you screw them into the tire. I like to do it with a start them with an impact uh, gun uh, just to zip them in there real quick and then hand tighten them down so they're flush with the uh, tire and the friction of screwing them into the rubber causes the the vulcanizing compound which i think is just sort of i don't know if it's wax or what it is but it's encased in uh, in something and as that friction of the tire goes through it melts that uh, protective layer and causes the you know the super glue vulcanizing comp whatever that fucking is uh to to cure into the <laughs> little plug and i gotta say like especially sidewalls again they work really good and uh you know deep inside of a tread they work they work pretty good um, if for whatever reason, your little gummy worms, you know, sometimes the hole's just a little bit too big and you got to do two plugs and they don't quite seal right. Um, I sometimes like to use those little guys and I do, again, I don't think any of this stuff is like DOT legal. I think if you plug the tire, technically the tire is no good anymore. You got to take a tire strap, get it repaired or whatever. But, um, you know, and certainly the agricultural plugs aren't meant for on-road use and whatever. And whatever you do is your own business. Uh, I don't care what you do. Uh, but, uh, but they are kind of cool. The screw-in ones are pretty cool. And there's plugs, a new... Plugs in the tread are pretty safe. Those yeah. Plugs I mean, the sidewall, maybe not so good. I mean, that maybe that maybe indicates not. a problem with the sidewall. So yeah, wouldn't use those in the sidewall. It'll balloon the sidewall and stuff if you didn't, you know, if it starts to tear too much or whatever. But, you know, again, if you're in the middle of nowhere and uh, you've blown out a tire, yep. um, I... How about this? I always plug before I go to my spare. And only once the tire is not pluggable anymore, uh, for some reason, it just won't hold air, will I put the spare on. Because at least if I've got a plugged tire on the car that's still working, I still have a spare. And if things go really sideways, then I still have a spare. But if I do something and I've already used up my spare, then then I feel like you're in a little bit more trouble. But maybe that's just the... That's fair always prepared Canadian uh, What's your least company. favorite method of repairing a tire? Uh, taking the tire off of the wheel and doing anything <laughs> inside of the wheel. Those yeah. are, uh, yeah. What do you uh, what do you like for a tire spoon? I have a tire spoon pry bar that's probably about, I don't know, it's maybe two and a half feet long or something, three feet long and it has a little, a little metal fulcrum piece welded to the underside of it. It's meant for a big rig tire and then the little spoon on the front. And it just gives you that little leveraging spot where, you know, some people put like the screwdriver handle or something underneath it, but this is like welded on there and it'll let you, it'll let you 
uh, climb that bead off of the uh, wheel real nice. I have the same one. They're good. That's a good, uh, that's something, and it's easy, it's small and round, and so you can just stick it inside your truck, and if you ever need to, for whatever reason, valve stems or something just get totally destroyed, and you have to get inside of that wheel for some reason and, and take it out. Um, I really like that. I'm a big fan of that particular tire spoon because it's, uh, it's pretty quick, you know, and you can, you can kind of get in and out of there. And, but yeah, if you have to repair from the inside of the tire, that's a less fun day. Like you said, with the, with the gummy worms, you can be back on the trail in five minutes. You know, you can uh, plug it, put air back in it and you're, and you're off. But if you're taking the wheel out, it's a bigger job. The tire. Yeah. If you're taking the tire off the wheel, it's uh, not as fun. What about a sidewall patch? Do you like, uh, do you uh, have you tried a sidewall patch, the little rubber squares that you you sort of crazy glue over the uh, over the sidewall? I have not done that. I have uh, friends that have done that. Uh, you know, yeah. the stitched the sidewall split mm. with wire mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. patched it mm-hmm. with that kind of patch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've I've not had a recent sidewall failure that was you know it, it seems to be like in a small area, small tear. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I feel like it's rare to have a larger tear but not a complete blowout. Right. Usually I feel like when the sidewall fails, it's completely catastrophic. ruined, yeah. catastrophic, yeah. Yeah. not repairable. Yeah. So it's like a narrow band of of damage that is kind of repairable by those more extreme efforts. Yeah, there's sort of like a, you know, I would say maximum maybe one and a half inches by one and a half inch kind of area that you could you could potentially plug. Uh, I, I've never actually had to stitch a tire closed with wire, but I have uh, I've used the I've used the sidewall patch and uh yeah, they're fine. Um, they take a really long time, though. Like you have to, you put them on, you put the patch on. And there's all these steps, and and it takes quite a while. Got to um, wait a day. You gotta put yeah, it in you got to technically you balkanize it. It's uh, you know, there's a whole there's a whole thing. But um, in those cases, I will switch to the spare patch the you know patch that tire so that it has time to cure and all that. Um, you know, the, the Leland brothers uh, from Australia, their you know documentary films of them you know, going to these parts of Australia well before this was 19, you know, 1960s, well before there were roads there, they would have this uh, liquid uh, sort of vulcanizing putty and uh, they would just scoop it out of the can with their bare hands and sort of rub it into the tire to get it to, to get it to sort of seal up and just stick it on the roof of the car and let it sort of kick off as they were, as they were driving around and then be able to swap that uh, you know, back onto the uh, onto the car as needed. Uh, I I don't know what that does to your hands. Pretty sure they were just whittling new tires out of wood. Out of wood, yeah, yeah. just to uh, bolt them up when needed. And they have, there was like a baby in there with them. You know, it's like the whole family's there. It's insane. They're fantastic. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a famous Land Rover Omer that's definitely worth uh, that's definitely worth uh, looking. It's a good series. They, yeah, they're they're super fun. They are crazy, and they're doing some pretty amazing things. And they were some of the first folks to fit the agricultural size, you know, tires to Land Rover's really giant, um, you know, high flotation uh, tires to do some of these expedition things. They look like they look like they're the Southern Jeep Safari. Or something. So, you know, it's but it's 1960 and they're in Australia and it's a Land Rover. But uh, yeah, they got the big the big mudder tires. It's uh, pretty cool. Anyways, and vulcanized hands, completely vulcanized. They're uh, completely waterproof, fireproof, uh, you know, and it's whatever. No problem. No problem. So they uh, they all died in their uh, in their early 30s from a vulcanizing poisoning. But uh, other than that, it's great. Speaking of vulcanizing poisoning, we're coming to the end of the show. But uh, I thought we would uh, you know mention that if you haven't checked out the Underpowered Hour uh, YouTube, uh, there's some good stuff up there. You know, there's uh, you know uh, the comedy stylings of uh, Ike Goss and Linus uh, 
talking about winching. There's some uh, tip-top tool tips up there about riveting, of course, because several yeah, people enjoy listening to the show or watching the show it's while true. at work. Every <laughs> every episode uh, is available up there. You can you can see what we look like and why you would want that. I don't know. It's horrible. Um, but uh, it's you know, if you wanted to, you could you could see what we uh, what we look like and uh, what Linus looks like, Liza Jenna. No and uh, yeah, and our our last video with uh, Mercedes about the uh, Grenadier already has uh, one point six thousand uh, views. So that's a, uh, that's know, a great uh, interview. Yeah, she did a really nice job breaking down the Grenadier. Now I will apologize to the one person that commented that we didn't talk about steering feel nearly enough or early enough on, and that we were fixated on toot buttons, um, which uh, is true. I mean, if you're coming to this show for actual automotive journalism. Uh, I'm afraid if you've taken a wrong turn, um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I guess we'll have to talk to her about the, uh, there's a legitimate complaint that, uh, uh, one in particular automotive journalist made about the recirculating ball type steering on those cars. But, um, I think it's going to be better than my series one Land Rover. If I'm being honest, it probably is. Yeah. And if, um, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you're coming to this uh, show for the uh, exact same thing you could read in five other places, then, uh, well, I apologize. Don't um, alienate our listeners. Yeah, it's true. We're not Motor Trend. I Listener. Don't know. If you've gotten this, if, you, if you've gotten to episode 108 and uh, haven't realized that this is not going to become Motor Trend Shh. at some point. Um, yeah, anyways. So, uh, well, at that, Ike, it has been a slice as always. We're prepping for uh, getting you over to Kuma. A big order of stickers just headed your way. Brand new. They're fresh, down under. Delicious Aussie yep. edition stickers. So. We're going to bandage so many snake bites with those things. It's going to be amazing. If you see Ike, uh, Jenna, or uh, Linus, uh, or Maddie, at Kuma, uh, make sure you request uh, your stickers. There's, there's some tiny stickers. you see Australian wildlife with stickers on it? You'll know that Ike has been there. There's a, tiny, a little tiny Ike on the back of a koala. You'll know <laughs> that, uh, that Ike has been there. And you know their arms are not quite, they can't quite reach back there. So no, it's just it's really it's sad. stuck there. It's very irritating. It's incredibly it's sad. sad. And that's why Ike's never allowed uh, back in, uh, in Australia. I got the booting. All right, buddy. Well, it's been a slice as always. Uh, We'll uh, have a great uh, rest of your week, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week. All right, Stephen. See you on the trail. The Underpowered Hour is produced by Liza Barris, Ike Goss, and me, Steve Barris. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook.